Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Tonight, straight from the source. President Biden siding with the auto workers over the automakers in the first ever strike against the big three. Filmmaker and working class champion Michael Moore is here with us tonight. Plus, special counsel Jack Smith asking a judge for a limited gag order against former President Donald Trump, warning that the ex-president is trying to undermine the criminal justice system. And now senators want to know if Elon Musk personally intervened to undermine Ukraine. From war and international affairs to Tesla and Twitter, just how powerful is the richest man on earth? I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Tonight, nearly 13,000 United Auto Workers are on strike at three plants in three states against all three major U.S. auto companies for the very first time. Tomorrow, union leaders are expected to be back at the bargaining table. They did not have negotiations today. Tonight, though, in Detroit, the UAW president, Sean Fain, appeared with Senator Bernie Sanders at his side. You guys are ready to rumble now, aren't you? We're in it, baby. It's time the politicians in this country pick a side. The billionaire class has been taking everything, and the working class has been left scraping. He said it's time for politicians to take a side. Well, the president did do that today. You can probably guess whose. Record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers. Workers deserve a fair share of the benefits they help create for an enterprise. Bottom line is that auto workers help create America's middle class. They deserve a contract that sustains them in the middle class. President Biden announced there that he is sending two of his top aides to Michigan to get directly more involved in these negotiations that are going to restart tomorrow. Of course, at the center of all of this is not just what is happening with this strike, what the workers will potentially get out of it if they come to a deal. It's also a political factor because Michigan is a state that President Biden basically must win if he wants to indeed remain in the Oval Office. There are a lot of implications here. I want to get straight to the source tonight with Oscar winning filmmaker who got his start taking the tough questions straight to the then chairman of General Motors and his 1989 documentary, Roger and Me. We will get to that in a moment, Michael Moore. Thank you uh, for being here tonight. When you look at the picture of what's happening in Detroit, in Michigan right now, at these other plants and this strategic strike that they have going on, do you think it was inevitable? Absolutely, and long overdue. Uh, and, And not just for auto workers, all across the country. Uh, people have been struggling to survive. 
the, the uh, tiny wage increases they've received uh, in the last 20 or 30 years uh, have not helped average, everyday, middle-class, working-class Americans keep up. So the fact that the UAW has so boldly gone forth here to take on all three auto companies at the same time, something that's never been done before, and and stand up for this. I mean, it's it, it's. Uh, I'm very proud of this union. My all my family were UAW members. My uncle uh, was in the sit-down strike of 1936-37 that essentially founded the UAW. It was the first contract when they took over the factories for 44 days and uh, in the middle of winter, and really brought General Motors to their knees and made them acknowledge the union and to give the union their first contract. So yeah. all these years later, uh, you know, I'm filled with a great sense of pride, having been raised in a UAW family, uh, being being a union member myself, currently on strike, the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild, uh, and it's not just us. It's 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 350 Starbucks locations have unionized, have voted in the union, uh, Amazon warehouses, Chipotle's. Go down the list. Young people, young people, young adults are organizing unions. It's it's a very important time. And 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 before it was hard for the unions to uh uh I mean for the for the unions to, to survive a strike because they would just fire everybody and and hire more people. Well right now in this country we have 9.8 million jobs that are not filled. They can't find workers to fill them. 9.8 million. So so they know the automakers know that uh, they aren't just going to be able to treat the union poorly and get away with it this time. They need these workers or they can't build the cars. And and the union, I think, is going to stand very strong because they have a great new president, uh, the first one truly elected democratically by all the members in the union, got to vote for the president, not just the ones at the convention. And um, and he has got the right attitude. The executives got a 40% uh, uh, wage increase. In their pay, the CEO and all the executives, so should the workers. They have made record profits right up until right now, the six-month period we're in right now. Combined, the three automakers have made $21 billion in profits. Unheard of. This is a record. They've made off like bandits during the, the, the pandemic. They've raised the price of cars on everybody. Everybody who's tried to buy a car knows it's 30% more than it was before the pandemic. How did that happen? So they've made a ton of money. Uh, they, of course, they don't want to share it uh, with these workers who gave all this money back when Obama saved the auto industry back in 08 and 09. Uh, and, and they had to get the union, the workers had to give up all this money to the point where uh, new hires are only paid $15.48 an hour. All right. Just this, and without the benefits, pensions gone, all of this stuff. And people have had it. You know, this is, it's so anti-American to well, go after the work Michael, during a you, time like You mentioned there the salaries of the executives. And that really has been, you know, between that and the company's profits, that has just been at the center of everything you hear from these, these union workers and just how fast they've grown. And the CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, who out of the three that they are striking against makes the most, she made nearly $30 million last night. She was asked about this very 
problem by my colleague Vanessa Yurkevich. I want you to listen to what her answer was. Okay. If you're getting a 34% pay increase over four years and you're offering 20% to employees right now, do you think that's fair? Well, I think when you look at the overall the overall structure and, and the fact that 92% is based on performance and you look at uh, what we've been doing of sharing in the profitability when the company does well, I think uh, we've got a very compelling offer on the table. And that's the focus I have right now. What do you make of that well, logic? <laughs> uh, there, well, there was no logic there. Uh, and, you know, this is what's so great, especially about the younger people, young adults, young workers. They When they hear the BS, they understand it. Now, Mary Barra uh, is uh, not only making that $30 million uh, right now, uh, you know, she's also on the board of Disney. A lot. This is how a lot of these CEOs work. They don't just run their own companies. They're on boards of other large corporations. And, 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 and the irony of, you know, I'm part of a union on strike against Disney and these Hollywood studios. And, and, and here she is, the CEO of General Motors. It's, it's, I'm just so happy that people are standing up for this. And 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 that the uh, especially the UAW a guiding light here uh, for people, and uh, they know they're not going to get away with this. I think that they know that. I mean, that's why she's right. They they have offered uh, something they've never offered before, but they've even got the president now essentially against them in the sense that when he went on TV today, I got to tell you this: in my entire lifetime, and I mean including Democratic administrations, mm-hmm. I have never heard a president once inaugurated. Uh, say that they are supporting the workers. This president, Biden, went on TV today and said that if they had record profits at the at the car companies, then the workers deserve a record contract. Wow. I mean, does anybody realize how that has never been said by a president in the Oval Office? This is this is um, very heartening to everybody who's working hard for a living, trying to get by. Uh, uh, and it's it's. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry that she feels that way. You know, she I'll say something about Mary Barra. She was the only CEO in the history of General Motors that was an actual auto worker. She worked in the factory in Flint. Her UAW member worked in the factory. Uh, she went to college in Flint. I mean, she's a Flint person. She's a UAW person. And for her to take $30 million a year, and, and, and have this huge pay increase when the workers last time got 6% raise. And, and now are still, the workers who are making $15.48 an hour back from saved the company. Today, this is what, 15 years later, the workers at that low tier, these are full-time workers, by the way, doing the same job as the person next to them on the assembly line. They're making today $15.48 an hour. Outrageous. And I'm, I'm, I'm very... Michael, you mentioned the president's speech there today, and there was a question of what he'd come out and say, because obviously he says he's the most pro-union president to ever be in office. And there's been the question of, you know, what does that action actually look like here? The UAW typically endorses the Democratic candidate. They haven't endorsed Biden yet. They declined to do so when he came out for re-election in May. Why do you why do you think that is? And do you think this changes that? Well, I don't know, but I'll tell you, the reason they haven't endorsed him yet is because uh, auto workers, all, all groups of people that generally vote Democratic, auto workers, uh, uh, Black Americans, uh, women, uh, are, are fed up. Women, we're not even a year, we're more, a little more than a year away 
from their rights of their bodily autonomy being taken from them by the Supreme Court. Where are the Democrats and what are they doing? Go down the list, whether whether you're an African-American, whether you're an auto worker, you're a union member. No, they shouldn't. Every group should stop just handing over these endorsements, especially to the Democrats, because we've learned they had 49 years after Roe v. Wade was made legal by the Supreme Court, 49 years to make it the law of the land. And they didn't. So so I, I love the fact that they just won't hand over an endorsement uh, to to. And he's right. Probably the most pro-union president we've ever had. And so he, he did more. He took another step today in favor of the union and the working people. And I, I think that should help. But he's already he's sending two of his administration people there. The deputy secretary of labor is going to Flint and going to Detroit. And, uh, you know, this is exactly what should happen. And they should make it clear to the automakers and to corporate America that the working people aren't going to take this anymore. And it's a, it was a powerful move today. And good for him. And uh, we'll we'll see what the automobiles decide to do with it. I'm curious what this means for you when you look at you talked about just handing over endorsements in the broader political landscape. You obviously campaigned for Bernie Sanders in 2020 yes. when he was running for the Democratic nomination. When you look at the landscape now, and you see people like David Ignatius, who President Biden reads and likes, calling on him not to run in 2024. Do you think President Biden is the best Democratic candidate in 2024? Uh, oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, <laughs> David Ignatius' piece, I don't know what to say to that. It's so odd that somebody in, uh, I don't know how old David Ignatius is, but to have this kind of ageism and this sort of, uh, it, it's its sad to see that. But Joe Biden at 80 years old, I mean, uh, first of all, he could easily beat me in a foot race. I don't need to state the obvious. So, <laughs> I'm just saying that at 80 years old, um, he's able to so much good. Look at what has happened in his two years. Trump, post-pandemic, Trump wrecking so many things from the EPA to God knows what we do. God does know, and so do we. What else he wrecked? And Biden came in there. And yes, as a Bernie supporter, I was thrilled with what he's done. Now, would he do everything I would do? No, he's not me. I'm not him. But it has, he has been um, an incredible president, very progressive, frankly. Um, uh, you know, yeah, certainly more progressive you know, than some be, moderate Democrats would like. like because I'm just saying, yeah, and, there's, and, and we all have a, a responsibility uh, uh, to get out there and vote and to get people to vote next year. But I'm, see, here's why the optimism in me is that um, so I read this statistic every year, 4 million 17 year olds turn 18 become adults, become possible voters if they choose to vote. And we've had record turnouts from young voters, young adult voters in these last three elections. And uh, they're going to vote, man, they're going to come out next year. How many young people? Seriously. So since since Donald Trump took the ride down the golden escalator in 2015, that means there's about 30 million teenagers in that time period became adults, became eligible to vote. How many of them are going to vote for Donald Trump. He knows the answer to that. That's why some Republicans are trying to raise the voting age back up from 18 to 21. They're actually talking about that because young people will not vote for him. No young person has a poster of uh, Donald Trump in their bedroom. 
<laughs> well, I think some people, some people in my home state of Alabama certainly might. But when you look at the, the landscape of what it looks like if the election were held tomorrow, it looks like it's going to be a rematch between President Biden and former President Trump. Of course, what's changed is Trump is now facing 91 criminal charges. I mean, what do you think the election looks like if that is indeed what we see? Uh, well, then that's what we see. First of all, again, the, the age thing shouldn't matter a bit. Biden is out riding a bike. He's swimming in the ocean. He's, you know, 80-year-olds, you know, can do all those things. You know, they breathe, right? They actually, they actually, uh, they function well. They volunteer in their community. Um, 80 years old, you know, people are having sex at 80. They, then they have sex again. I mean, it's, we got to stop this nonsense about 80 is so, oh, it's like, it's not that. Biden's, Biden's uh, slogan in the coming year uh, should be uh, being up. If you, assuming he's up against Trump, uh, it should be this time. We mean it. <laughs> this time for good. Donald Trump over and out. Never again. Donald Trump. This should be the end of Trump's uh, political career, unless he's running for you know uh, ward captain in, in whatever prison he's in. Michael Moore, you did tweet the the day that he left the White House, trial, conviction, imprisonment. I mean, what if those trials, though, as he's now facing several, what if they do not happen before the election? doesn't matter. People know the truth. The people know the truth. I hope they do happen. But on some level, it doesn't matter because uh, Biden won over 7 million votes last time. This is before all this stuff came out. Uh, Trump, look, I mean, yes, Trump will do well because there are there are tens of millions of people who love him. But we live in a nation of 330 million people. We are the majority. The majority of Americans look at any CNN poll. The majority of Americans believe that climate uh, a catastrophe is real. The, the, the 90 percent and some polls are on gun control. Ninety percent of Americans want gun control. I mean, look at the go down the polls. Uh, the sixty to seventy percent believe we need to bring back Roe v. Wade. That abortion should be legal. I mean, literally ask the American people on the issues, as CNN often does. Where do you stand? They don't stand with the Republicans. They don't stand with Trump. Those days are over. The Republicans have only won one election since Daddy Bush was elected in '88. One election with a popular vote once in thirty-five years. That's how much the American people don't want a Republican in the White House. And the only way they can win is, is by gerrymandering, uh, trying to suppress the vote, all the things that they've been trying to do in recent years. Now they've been caught at it red-handed. Can you get me? I, I just need 11,780 votes. Could you, could you do that for me? You know, on tape, on tape, people, the American people have had it. They love their country. They want their democracy back. Uh, we all have different views on lots of things, but the one thing I think most of us agree on is yeah. we love this country and we love our democracy. Well, Michael Moore, as always, thank you for sharing your views with us tonight. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for being from Alabama and thank you, Alabama, for giving us some <laughs> of the great, great American writers from Alabama that gave us To Kill a Mockingbird and so many other things. Thank you, Alabama. Yeah, Harper Lee. Michael Moore, thank you very much. Thank you. So as we look at what is happening with this amazing, uh, incredible strike, historic, as Michael Moore was noting there, the question is, will the White House be able to help bring both sides together before the U.S. economy takes a hit? 
We have more to come with the former Labor Secretary under President Biden. Plus, why Special Counsel Jack Smith is now seeking a limited gag order against Donald Trump and his response. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Tonight, Special Counsel Jack Smith and his team of prosecutors are asking a judge to impose a limited gag order on what former President Donald Trump could say about that 2020 election subversion case. They're pointing to his attacks on multiple witnesses on a near daily basis on social media for this. And they argue that a limited gag order is needed because they say he's intimidating witnesses, possibly compromising the integrity of his trial and his jury pool. So how did the former president respond? You could probably guess by attacking the prosecutor in this case, Jack Smith, whom he has repeatedly called deranged. Here to break all of this down with me and try to answer for those posts. Maybe not. We won't make him do that. Temadayo Agonga-Williams, the former senior investigative counsel for the January 6th committee. So, Tem, what prosecutors are basically arguing here is they're saying he can still quote from public records. He can still say that he's innocent, but they're saying that this is, is necessary. Do you think that they'll be successful here? I think so. I think Judge Shotkin is going to impose at least some limited order. I mean, she's concerned about former President Trump and his First Amendment rights. She doesn't want to be placed in a position where she's unduly restricting his ability to speak. But there's a difference between candidate Trump and defendant Trump. And defendant Trump, by virtue of being under indictment, his First Amendment rights and a lot of his other rights are restricted. So I think it's justified, and I suspect she's going to do that. She warned him. He's been warned by multiple judges. He's under court control, effectively, through all his various bail conditions. So what he's not free to do is attack uh, the prosecutor, attack the judge, trying to undermine the jury pool and the fairness of a trial. He can campaign, but he can't basically undermine uh, the prosecutor's ability to prosecute the case. And witnesses here, too, as well. But, I mean, we've already seen how Trump himself is responding. He was going after Jack Smith, saying they're doing this as I'm running for office. If they do grant this, if the judge does grant this, how do they enforce it? What does that look like? I think that's going to be the real test here. In a normal case, what you have hanging over any defendant is that you can put that defendant in prison. If you don't follow a court's order, marshals come, they arrest you, they pick you up, and they take you away. And that loss of liberty, that's a real uh, persuasive tool, shall I say, the courts have. Here, it's going to be highly unlikely that we have any scenario where the former president is going to be taken into custody. But with the other threats she's already put to uh, former President Trump is that she's going to move that trial date even faster. And I think that's what she may do here. And I think his actions thus far are basically guaranteeing that we're going to see that Jack Smith D.C. case go forward next calendar year. And with each infraction that the former president puts forward, it makes it more likely that that case is going to move up even faster. Which is obviously not what he wants. Yeah. One thing that was so interesting about their argument is they cited basically his misinformation 
campaign was, I believe, what they called it in 2020, saying that like the previous public disinformation campaign regarding the election, his extrajudicial judicial statements are intended to undermine public confidence in an institution, the judicial system, and to undermine confidence in and intimidate individuals, the court, the jury, pool, witnesses, and prosecutors. I mean, they're referencing what he did in the aftermath of the election to say that we need this, this is the basis for this. Exactly. I mean, it's what we on the Jantix Committee in our report and our hearings have called the big lie, right? He's been, after the election, he again attacked institutions. He attacked the DOJ. He attacked the courts. He attacked our entire election system. And he repeated those lies again and again and again until he effectively infected the minds of his base. And that's what I think he's trying to do now. He's repeating lies about Jack Smith, lies about Judge Chutkin, lies uh, about the entire investigation, I think with the hopes that he's again going to infect those minds of potential jurors. And he doesn't have the right to do that. The First Amendment doesn't permit a defendant to go out and make his case in the media. You make your case in the courtroom. Yeah. The other part of this is we're learning more about what Jack Smith has been doing behind the scenes, including how they got 32 direct messages from his Twitter account. We don't know what the content is, but what are they looking for in those messages? What I suspect they're trying to get into former President Trump's mind, right? They asked for not only direct messages, they want to draft a potential post, for example. They're trying to see what was he doing, who was he speaking with? And as we all know, when we're on our phones, that can be our most personal and true self. And if the former president is engaging in direct messaging with someone, that's going to give us insight to what he was thinking. I mean, we'll remember, right, the former president... Uh, on December 19th, he started all the planning for the Jan 6 rally. He's the one who tweeted, be there, we'll be wild. So he used Twitter as a way to not only effectively start the planning of what led to the attack, but he also gave what has been widely seen as a signal to the right wing that that January 6th day was going to be a violent one. So what he was doing on Twitter could give a lot of insight into his thinking. Yeah. Timidayo Aganga-Williams, thank you for, for at least trying to break all this down and predict the future for us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. We should note Trump is speaking about this tonight. He is in an event, appearing at dueling events, really, with Governor DeSantis. We will bring you those remarks if they are newsworthy. But up next, thousands of auto workers are on strike tonight. More could be joining them soon if the big three automakers don't strike a deal with union leaders. President Biden's former labor secretary on what happens behind closed doors, how this could all end joins us next. Negotiations between the big three automakers and the UAW, the union, will resume tomorrow, and the stakes really could not be higher. Less than a day into this strike, General Motors told its Kansas plant in an internal memo that CNN viewed that it may run out of parts as soon as next week. So here to speak with me about the implications of this is Marty Walsh, former Labor Secretary under President Biden and the current head of the National Hockey League Players Union. Thank you so much, Mr. Secretary, for being here. I mean, President Biden, when you were there, called you one tough union chief. You helped work on the nationwide rail strike. Just can you give us a sense of what is actually happening behind the scenes? What should be happening behind closed doors right now? Well, as far as the White House is concerned, certainly they want to keep both sides at the table. Uh, They want to offer any type of assistance they can. I mean, the, the one thing that you can't do, the president, myself, Julie Sue, Gene Sperling, we can't negotiate the contract on behalf of the union or for the company. Uh, and it really is about keeping the sides at the table. And w- when you get to that issue, if there's an issue that you just can't resolve 
somebody that can intervene a little bit and put it aside and come back to it. And that's what we did with the railroad strike uh, when we were late in my office. We put a lot of the tougher issues towards the end. So th- there's a lot of dialogue conversations going on right now. Uh, well, maybe not right now, but tomorrow, hopefully. I think Gene Sperling and, uh, Dep- and uh, Secretary Julie Su are going out to Detroit. Uh, over, I, I read it somewhere. Uh, it's good to have them there. It's good to have Julie Sue there. She certainly knows what to do. She was in- instrumental in helping the port, the port uh, negotiations. She worked side by side with me on so many other negotiations that we settled. Yeah, but they are going to be back at the table. But from what we heard publicly today, the two sides are, are still very far apart. The union is asking for a 40% pay raise. They want a four-day work week, a shorter work week. They want other benefits. I mean, realistically, do you think what the union is asking for, those demands, that they can be met? Well, I think at the end of the day, I'm not sure if the union is going to end up with a 40% increase if they do, God bless them, for, for negotiating that contract. But but you have to take into account where they're coming from. Uh, they're looking at the 08 bailout. They're looking at the record profits. They're looking at all of that. Uh, I'm not one to, to judge people's salary. I never have CEOs, what CEO makes, what CEOs make. But in this particular case, or in every case, you know, just that has to that has to go down to the workers. The workers see that. And I think it's really important that they, they bring back some of what the workers gave up to, to, to make that industry uh, solvent and survive during 08, 09, during the economic crisis. So it is important for them to, to be recognized for that. And you are making ref- record profits. So there is an opportunity for us to move forward, for them to move forward here in this particular case. And, you know, I, I watched the news today. I saw, you know, the, the president of the OAW is on TV at a rally and, and that's important for him to do. And, and, this general CEO of one of the car companies on, on TV today as well talking, but but it can't be you can't negotiate through TV. You have to sit at the table. You can't you can't say something on TV that will will, will just end them and blow up this negotiation. This is too important. This is important for for the workers that that are that are on picket lines today. This is important for the f- 600 workers that I saw reported that are being laid off by Ford and what's going to happen in Kansas City and other places. It's too important for the companies as well. Uh, who, who, are, who in the American public, both who want to buy cars in the economy. So there's a lot at stake here. And the pro, this is prolonged. That will cause a major problem in so many different ways. And most importantly, it'll cause a problem for striking workers because they, they don't have deep pockets. Uh, they don't have millions of dollars in, the, in their funds uh, to support their families. Yeah, they said that if the funds were uh, used for all of them, if they all go on strike, it would run out in about three months. You mentioned the president, Sean Fain. He's relatively new to his job. He's shown publicly when he's been speaking that he is not afraid to use strong language, including moments like this one. This trash can is overflowing with the bullshit that the big three continue to peddle. A recent editorial that was in the Chicago Tribune said that he is the most belligerent union boss we've seen in a long time, noting how he refused to shake hands at the outset of negotiations with the big three negotiators. He scrapped this, you know, longstanding uh, tradition of civility that it looks like it and these back and forths. Do you think that persona is part of the strategy here and is it working? I don't know. I don't know Sean that well. Um, I don't know him at all. I, I've only spoken to him a couple times on the phone. I don't believe I've ever met him, uh, but I, I def- definitely think that uh, when you're sitting across from the table, you do have strong language at each other. I'm not talking about necessarily swearing at each other, but you have strong language going back and forth and passion. Uh, but I do think at the end of the day, in the beginning of the day, you need to begin it by by understanding each side trying to get to an agreement. Maybe not the agreement you want, but I think it's important for you to, to keep it above board moving forward. And again, I don't know Sean that well. Um, I don't know him at all. Mm. The nation's largest business group, business lobbying group, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, they're blaming the administration that you used to work for 
for basically not heading this off, for the fact that it got to this point. The Suzanne Clark is the head of it, and she said that the UAW strike and the summer of strikes that we've seen is the natural result of the Biden administration's whole-of-government approach to promoting unionization at all costs. Uh, Given the role you used to play in this White House, what's your reaction to that? I like Suzanne, but she's dead wrong on this. I mean, I think about if you look at uh, since President Biden's taken office, you look at the increase in wages, uh, you think about the opportunity for people to move around, you think about the the interest in unionization, uh, the power is going back to people and and the workers. And uh, you can't blame an administration just like you can't blame administration for not getting you a contract. Uh, It's unfair uh, to do that. Uh, There's been plenty of strikes under Republican presidents that I don't think the Chamber of Commerce commented back then that it was their fault for not getting it done. And they're way off pace. I think companies understand and recognize that uh, they're paying their employees more. They're looking at flex benefits more. They're increasing their, they're, they're increasing uh, 401ks, things like that, to keep employees. It, it, one of the segments here, you talked about 9 million people out of work. Uh, 9 million jobs open in America, not enough workers for them. Uh, the power is in the hands of, of workers right now. So I think the Chamber of Commerce, the statements like that, they should take a look in the mirror and realize that their business model needs to change a bit and respect the workers more across the board. Former Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. Moments ago, the former president responded again to the special counsel's request for a limited gag order in his Washington election case. What he said in response to those efforts, that's next. Plus, he is the richest man in the world and money, of course, brings power. Does Elon Musk have too much of the latter? Some senators are now calling for an investigation and asking the Pentagon for answers. From executive producers Park Chan-wook and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture, and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. Breaking tonight, former President Trump has just lashed out at the special counsel again, this time on camera, after Jack Smith's team asked a judge for a limited gag order in the federal election interference case. See today that deranged Jack Smith, he's the prosecutor, he's a deranged person, wants to take away my rights uh, under the First Amendment, wants to take away my right of speaking freely and openly. I should note, it's comments like that that are the reason prosecutors are asking for this limited gag order. It's not clear yet whether or not the judge will grant it, but they say they have concerns. He will taint the jury pool by attacking the judge and witnesses and prosecutors here. This was at a conference where Trump was courting the evangelical vote. The question here, of course, is whether or not the judge is actually going to rule on that. That is his response so far. We'll see what she does while we monitor that. Also this tonight. Elon Musk seems to be at it again. In some ways, it's like he feeds off controversy, enjoys making inflammatory statements, and kind of sitting back and basking in the backlash. But new comments from Elon Musk have triggered an international incident. For starters, here is what he said about Taiwan. Uh, From this standpoint, you know, it may be as analogous to like Hawaii or, or something like that. Like an integral part of China that is arbitrarily not part of China. Um... Mostly because of the, the U.S. Uh, has stopped, has been, U.S. specifically has stopped 
uh, any any sort of um, reunification effort. That is Musk, who I should note depends on the Chinese government for Tesla's manufacturing, comparing communist China's threats to Taiwan, which is a democracy, to the U.S. and to Hawaii. China, of course, does not control Taiwan. A civil war in 1949 took care of that. Taiwanese leadership is livid at Musk for those comments, saying that Taiwan is not for sale. And in addition to that, Musk has also been speaking out about why he did not allow his satellite technology to be used for a Ukrainian attack on Russian warships. You know, and that, you know, we're basically um, figured out that this was kind of a, like a Pearl Harbor type attack. So they're really asking us for, to, to really proactively take part in a major act of war. A Pearl Harbor-like attack. Of course, Pearl Harbor was an unprovoked attack that drew the United States into World War II. Ukraine's attack would have come in the middle of an already ongoing war near Ukrainian territory that Putin invaded. Meanwhile, Musk is busy as on meetings on his schedule. He is set to meet with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Monday as anti-Semitism has been running wild on his platform Twitter. But instead of focusing on tamping down the crisis, Musk has not been attacking the anti-Semitic post, but instead the Anti-Defamation League, blaming the human rights organization for Twitter's drop in ad revenue. There really is no one better to talk about this with than Kara Swisher, tech guru extraordinaire and host of On with Kara Swisher podcast. Kara, I mean, I I kind of hesitate to ask you, but what do you believe is going on with Elon Musk? Well, he's a regular John Foster Dulles, I guess. You know, he just does this to create problems. He just does it to create uh, issues. And then he says a word or two that he tries to back out of it. Um, He said, from their point of view, which is doing a lot of work here, he's just stating their point of view, when in fact he's calling attention to it, which is what he does. Um, You know, this man is not a foreign policy expert, but has suddenly become one along with his friends. Um, and they pontificate about this stuff. And he actually has the means to do something since he controls Starlink. Um, obviously, he has interest in China. And so he's going to be um, oriented towards what China wants um, because of the factories and the sales and everything else. He's one of the more exposed companies to China. The other is Apple, obviously. And you don't see Tim Cook doing any of this nonsense. Um with Starlink, you know, he's making, you know, he is, he was, they were using his system and it's the only system in town over there. And so he, he's got them where he wants them. He can do whatever he wants. Um, I I find it disturbing at the time when I found out about it, which is when a Ukrainian official asked me to speak to him, which I thought was somewhat nonsensical. They'd asked me to do it. He wasn't getting along with me. So I was like, don't say my name. Um, but you know, they were having to curry favor with him and see what would make him happy and this and that. And it was kind of insane when you think about it. A Ukrainian official um, asked you to get in touch with Elon Musk to help them. Yes. To convince him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was surprised and flat. I was flabbergasted. It was weird. You know, they were trying to sort of kiss up to him so that he would extend the use of it. And by the way, when he first gave it, it was very generous what was going on there. Cause they didn't, these communications, the Russians knocked down Viasat, they knocked down all kinds of things. And so this was working um, there. And at first he gave it for no money, um, but then he decided he wanted to have a say in it. It's, it's, it rhymes. And then later, of course, they've made arrangements with the government to pay for it and everything else. And in that case, he should have no say over it. And I think that's what the case is now um, when they're using it. They bought these units and they get to deploy them at the, as they want. Um, but it's a little like Lockheed telling the U.S. government where to drop 
bombs, I guess. I don't know. I just it's it's unprecedented in in our history. Yeah. And I mean, lawmakers clearly have questions about it. A group of senators, including I would Elizabeth imagine. Warren, they're, they're now asking the Pentagon for answers because he is doing things that the U.S. government didn't have the capability to do when it comes to, to having Starlink, to providing Internet to Ukraine, which is obviously something mm-hmm. that they desperately needed. But also he has the ability to, to turn it off. And I mean, just the concerns that lawmakers seem to have about the influence he has over foreign policy decisions. Yeah, technically he didn't turn it off. He didn't turn it on He or he geofenced. I think that mm-hmm. was the mistake that Walter Arson made in his book is he didn't understand what geofencing was, which was just he's limiting um, he's limiting its use in certain places that he deems problematic, such as Crimea um, or the Donbass region. I think that's where he was limiting it to. Uh, and so he's making these decisions, these battlefield decisions, which is are kind it's it's bizarre is what it is. And but he can do it because it was the only game in town. Now, other systems, again, failed. And I think what has to happen is it's pretty clear that there has to be other systems besides Starlink, which is a very good system. Um, so that people don't rely on one person and their whims at 3 a.m. in the morning of deciding peace and war and making, you know, making these pronouncements. Uh, it's just it's just one unaccountable billionaire with who is unelected and slightly, you know, you can see how he behaves uh, running foreign policy. And that's a problem. Yeah. With a lot of power. Kara Swisher. A lot of power. Thank you power. for joining tonight. Thank you. Also tonight, we're tracking a dangerous hurricane that is barreling toward New England. We'll have a live update from our weather center next. Communities up and down the East Coast tonight are bracing for Hurricane Lee. Our meteorologist, Chad Myers, joins us from CNN's weather center. Chad, obviously, you've been tracking the storm closely. When and where are we going to see the major effects of this storm? The major effects won't happen until probably 6 o'clock in the morning. That's along the Cape, Cape Cod. But really, we're still seeing very large waves, beach erosion up and down the East Coast, as you mentioned. But the storm doesn't have an eye anymore. You can't even find it. That's great news because where this storm was a week ago, boy, we had something major on our hands. And right now we have a Category 1 hurricane that will make landfall without an eye. That means we are going to see wind 40 to 50 miles per hour. We are going to see some storm surge. But truly, Atlantic Canada will get the worst of this. Up toward the Bay of Fundy, New Brunswick, into Nova Scotia. That's where the right side of this eye is going to push water on shore, cause that surge. And Bay of Fundy has the highest tide, top to bottom, in the world there. And when you get another surge on top of that high tide, that could really be a problem. Also, all of that water. There will be 30-foot waves crashing on shore there in Nova Scotia. The good news is for the U.S., those waves, those winds are blowing offshore, not crashing on shore. There still will be some erosion. It's a very rocky shore up there in Maine. But there still could be surge as well as the storm finally makes landfall sometime tomorrow afternoon. Chad Myers, I know you'll be watching it all very closely. Thank you for that update tonight. And ahead, the tape that contradicts what Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert said she wasn't doing in a theater that got her kicked out. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert's office has apparently been caught blowing smoke about why she was recently kicked out of a performance of Beetlejuice. Yes, you heard that sentence correctly. Her spokesperson said she was not vaping, but surveillance video shows that the Colorado Republican was, in fact, vaping during the performance. That cloud of smoke was not coming from a smoke machine, which is what her office initially had claimed about what happened. Bobert is also seen on the video taking selfies with her flash on. Her office claimed that she was unaware that photos weren't allowed in the theater. 
But as she left, after she was promptly escorted out by the theater workers, the congresswoman and her date flipped the bird to the employees who were really just doing their jobs. On that note, please behave if you go see Beetlejuice this weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. CNN Primetime with Abby Phillips starts right now. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.